Good morning. It is Monday. It's a new week, and this is the podcast, Insanity, a Peace of Mind. I am your host, Stephanie. This is episode 54, and we are going to talk about perpetual problems and conflict in marriages and couple relationships. The ideas expressed can be expanded out into other relationships, and that's all useful and good and well. And you probably should take some of these strategies out into your broader life relationships. However, let's talk marriages. Conflict is inevitable. I'll say it again. Conflict is inevitable. It is not possible to be in a relationship with another person and avoid conflict. If you have friends whose marriages look like they are blissfully uncontentious, that's just because you don't see the conflict. You never do. Most people hide marital conflict behind closed doors. They don't want their kids to know about it. They don't want their friends to know about it. They don't want their extended family to know about it. And this is generally because people are ashamed or embarrassed or afraid or too proud to admit that they fight with their significant other. We don't want our kids to worry. We don't want our parents to think poorly of our spouse. We don't want our friends to know that our marriage isn't perfect. And yet, here's the deal. It doesn't matter how you characterize your marriage, but if you characterize it as conflict-free, you are lying. You're lying to yourself and you're lying to everyone else. Because, as I said before, conflict is inevitable. So what you want is to be a couple who models good, healthy conflict resolution in the aftermath of a conflict. If you can model good, healthy, appropriate conflict management, then there is no reason to worry or be concerned if people know you argue. If you don't model how to have conflict and how to manage it in your marriage in front of your children, they will grow up with the same worries and insecurities about fighting with each other that you did. So it's not something to be afraid of, although it can feel scary. It just needs to be handled in a way that shows the inevitability of disagreements and the ability of two people who love and care about each other to model resolution and repair in a way that decreases the anxiety and increases the security of your family 
in this case, kids. My kids have all indicated to some degree or another that they would not mind seeing more conflict and they appreciate that we have never made them afraid of conflict. My kids also tend to be of the mind that they want to make sure that they marry someone they know how to fight with. That can mean anything you want it to, but I understand them. And so I understand what they're referring to. So conflict management. Let's take a minute and step back and talk a little bit about perpetual problems, which continues to be an important topic because there needs to be some perspective about what they mean and why there doesn't need to be any worry about them. It does not mean that you are incompatible. It doesn't mean that you and your partner are dysfunctional or broken, or even that you are headed for divorce. Because conflict is inevitable and perpetual problems are usually conflictual. So if the number one thing that couples fight about is nothing, then how is it you're supposed to deal with the energy that gets expended in these particular arguments? First of all, you need to accept that there is nothing wrong with you. All couples fight. Some couples fight a lot. Some couples fight a lot about nothing. I have seen friends of mine and couples who seem to bicker more than they don't. To be perfectly honest, it makes me a bit uncomfortable, but I also recognize that these people are happily married and committed to one another and have raised beautiful families and are living wonderful lives. Just because their level of comfort with bickering and conflict is higher than my level doesn't mean there's anything wrong with their marriage. So we have to be able to gain some perspective and we have to be able to see that we can be different than the people we surround ourselves with. We can even be different in our level of tolerance of conflict than the person we're married to. What we need to be able to do is to engage in these conflict discussions, perpetual problem discussions with our partners using perspective, empathy, and a lot of conversation. Perpetual problems can be seen as a third party annoyance in your marriage. Picture them like little gnats trying to distract or bug you. The gnat is trying to get between you and your spouse. And with these little annoyances that build up, small things that accumulate, 
eventually turn into something that you are arguing about. How to load the dishwasher, how often the laundry needs to be done, what you spend your money on, what to make for dinner, why the family room is always messy, stuff like that. Essentially, nothing. But at the moment you're engaged in the conflict or the discussion, it feels like something. So the question becomes, how do you get rid of these third party annoyances or this gnat that you're envisioning as the perpetual problem that keeps coming up? These irksome issues that create discomfort, insecurity, dysregulation, and stress. You work together with one another and you learn some conflict management strategies that can be practiced repeatedly with any conflict, big or small. Dr. Gottman in the Gottman Methods Couples Therapy outlines six steps to good conflict management. I don't think it's resolution. It's just managing the conflict, the perpetual problems that come up over and over again. The first one, when you find yourself coming together again over an argument that you've had before, it's useful to learn how to self-soothe. What happens when you're engaged in a heated discussion or a discussion that is causing you stress is that you get dysregulated, you start dumping stress hormones, your fight or flight or freeze response gets activated and you lose the ability to be rational, to talk common sense because you are emotionally dysregulated, which has very specific physiological symptoms. Take a time out when conflict arises. You can go for a walk. You can read a book. You can meditate. You can watch 30 minutes of a Netflix movie. Do anything that allows you to decrease the physiological responses to the conflict. Usually that takes a minimum of 20 minutes. The key here is to do something that takes your mind off the fight. You're not going to spend 20 minutes strategizing how you're going to convince your partner that you're right about something. You are going to take a legitimate break from thinking about this disagreement. So find something that relaxes you and take a break with a commitment to your partner 
that you will be able to return to discuss this in a minimum of 30 minutes and a maximum of whatever you agree. When you come back to discuss it, or if you are able in the moment to discuss it, you use the I statements that we have talked about before in the Boundaries podcasts. This is called the softened startup. You say things like, I feel about this issue and I need you to do something. You are able to express yourself without blaming, without accusing, without putting the other person in a defensive posture. If the softened startup makes it all about how you feel about something and what you need, it makes it very hard for the other person to stay angry or defensive. The next thing is to repair and de-escalate. If things are heated and going topsy-turvy or upside down, then you can say something like, can I start over? Or I didn't say that the way I wanted to. I am sorry, I think I was unclear. And phrases like that to help slow the conversation down and de-escalate and begin the steps of making a repair for the few minutes ago when you said, you never, or you always, or I'm sick of, or when will you stop? Those kinds of blaming things. So the repair and de-escalate is you trying to say something like, can I start again? I don't think I made that clear. I don't think you're understanding me. I'm sorry. Things like that. Another one is to listen to your partner's unspoken or underlying feelings and dreams. And sometimes these are unspoken. This is more when the conflict feels gridlocked, which we talked a little bit about last podcast. This is repeated conflict that has entrenched itself because it has not been managed effectively. And these problems between you and your partner often are the ones that have some sort of hidden agenda or hidden meaning. And they're usually rooted in feelings and aspirations and dreams that are not getting communicated. So it's useful to begin to contemplate what your dreams are, if it's you that keeps coming in with a repeated conflict, 
and how you can communicate those dreams and aspirations more clearly to your partner. So if it's something about how the duties of the house are divided up, or if it's about whether you work outside of the home or not, or whether you have control over your own finances or not. A lot of those kinds of issues have underlying dreams or aspirations or agendas. And when I say agenda, I don't mean it negatively. I just mean there's something more to it. And it's important to understand what that is for yourself so that you can communicate that to your partner so that it doesn't feel like you are just arguing over the superficiality of money. And as a partner, it is important for you to maybe be a little bit more thoughtful, a little bit more inquisitive about what your spouse's dreams and aspirations and agendas might be in conflict that keeps coming up over and over and over again. So you need to become a better communicator. And on the flip side, you need to become a better listener and seek to discover your partner's feelings and dreams that are sometimes unconscious or sometimes just held back because they're not ready to express them or expose themselves that way. The purpose of this skill is to genuinely understand your spouse and to see who they are and what it is they want in their life. Maybe these are long-term goals that they haven't talked about yet, or maybe there's something related to the way they grew up and how they were treated in their home or what their experience was in a job or a the way they were treated by a friend or a boss or a significant other. And they need you to listen to help bring that out. And personally, you need to be able to communicate those things. And this kind of behavior and these kinds of exchanges lead into the next one, which is to accept influence. If you become a better communicator and if you become a better listener, the next logical step is going to be your willingness to recognize and accept influence from your partner. This means that in all likelihood, your spouse has a good idea and important opinions and something to offer you because you are not always right. Your way is not always the best way. Your way is not the only way. Just because that is the way your mother did it does not mean it is the right way. And so being able to show respect for the opinions and the expression of those opinions from your partner is a beautiful way to manage these conflicts. And the unwillingness to accept influence goes unnoticed a lot of times. 
except by the person who feels like they're being snubbed. So this is a big one. And this takes a lot of self-awareness and some introspection to see and or feel where you might need to improve on this. And since you are listening to this podcast and you now know about this strategy, it is useful for you to talk openly about it with your spouse so that you can look for these moments together. The final one is compromise. Compromise means nobody gets everything they want and both partners get a little bit of something. It doesn't always feel perfect and sometimes it doesn't even feel good except that it is something that you did together. The important thing about compromise is not what you got or what you gave, but whether or not you felt understood, respected, and honored by your partner. So you need to work together to find common ground and compromise so that you both feel valued, respected, and supported. Some final thoughts. I'm going to repeat a few things. Conflict is inevitable. Two-thirds of relationship conflict is perpetual. And this is true for most couples. And because of this, I think we may as well admit it. Own it and be more open about it. To that end, don't misunderstand. Most of us are not interested in hearing our friends talk trash about their spouse. We don't know... We don't want to know your details. We don't want to know your problems specifically. And there's no good reason to disclose specifics about relationships or relationship conflict. But letting your kids see you argue and then letting your kids see you make up and letting your family and friends know that you argue with your spouse would go a long way to help people feel better about their imperfect relationships. If I didn't say this earlier, I'm going to say it now. If you have friends who say things like, we never fight, or we don't ever argue, they're lying. And maybe even worse, if they're not lying and they don't ever argue or they don't ever fight, then they live in a profoundly superficial relationship. And perhaps there's more to do on that later. But I can tell you that John Gottman says, doctors Julie and John Gottman say, that learning to manage conflict in a positive and healthy way can increase the affection, contentment, satisfaction you have in your marriage and in your relationship. And you are able to recognize conflict for what it is necessary. That was my word. They claim that it is an opportunity to learn, grow, progress, and live a full and meaningful life. That's what conflict does for a relationship. Max Lucado says, conflict is inevitable. Combat is optional. Have a good week. Thank you.